Good morning and welcome. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. My name is Craig. I'm the senior pastor here, and it is our privilege to have you with us as we've gathered together to worship the Lord. If you're a guest with us this morning, I, I want to especially thank you for being here um, and to ask you to do me a favor. There's a tear-off in your worship folder, your bulletin, that you can use to just let us know you are here. Give us a little bit of information about yourself. You can fill that out and drop it in the offering plate on your way out. If you would prefer, you can actually do that online. You can scan the QR code in your bulletin and you can find it there. Or you can just go to malvernhill.org connect. I'm not going to come visit you today. i got a lot going on. I promise I won't come knock on your door. But it really helps us a lot if you'll fill that information out. I'd like to drop a letter in the mail to you this week and just let you know how much we appreciated having you here with us. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 6. Acts uh, chapter 16. I'm sorry, chapter 16. As you're turning, just a couple of other things. I do have a Next Steps class this afternoon. If you've been visiting with us once or 20 times and you've never taken that next step to learn what it would look like, be a member here or just to, oh, hey, there we are. It's good. Learn a little bit more about who we are here at Malvern Hill. I would invite you to meet with me at 4 o'clock. I'll meet you right here in the sanctuary, and then there's a classroom right over there behind that door, but you can't see it. So just meet me right here at 4, and we'll go to that, uh, that room, and we'll talk a little bit about what that looks like. A uh, couple other things. Easter's coming. I know Adam mentioned that, but I just want to encourage you to invite somebody. And then finally, last week we talked about some pretty significant changes that are coming up in our church family. On May the 7th, we'll be going to two worship services at 8.30 in the morning and then at 11 o'clock. Uh, soon you'll be getting an email from us, and that email is pretty simple. We're going to ask you to RSVP as to which service you're going to attend. Now that, that email is going to come to you. We're not going to send those out until after Easter, I think, but... Um, Again, that, that RSVP is, is not a, hey, you have to be in this service, okay? We just need your help as we try to plan how we're going to staff our services. So as you saw, we got 487 children that walked out of here this morning. I need to have some sort of an idea about how many of them are going to be in the early service and how many are going to be in the late service so that those folks who, who, who are not me, by the way, those folks who make sure that we have plenty of uh, volunteers and all those other things, staff, that they know how to staff our nursery, our children's ministry, and all those other things. So please help us out when you get that in the mail. And, so, and I'm telling you ahead of time so that you can be talking. Some of y'all might be like my own kids, and you're trying to line that up with when your friends are going to be here. Do whatever you need to do, but just help us so that we can do that. I will tell you, I need at least 100 people in that early service, okay? I need at least that many. I really don't want to preach to an empty crowd. So Now, I'm going to probably in July have to be looking at some of y'all and saying, I need at least 100 people to show up at the second service, because some of y'all are going to want to get in here and get to the lake. Uh, but uh, really look forward to the opportunities. God's opening up space for us. We're going to open space up so we can reach more folks. So y'all help us. All right. Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Stand with me in honor of God's word. We just have five verses to read this morning. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy. He was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving us. 
Thank you for this word. As we consider, Father, how it is that the next generation of ministry leaders may be raised up, as we consider, Lord God, whether or not we may be one of those people. Father, I pray you give us open hearts, open minds, open ears. Help us to be challenged and changed by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Tom Brady is probably not your favorite person on the planet, right? He's not mine either. He's not my favorite NFL player of all time. But I asked Wyatt this morning, I said, Wyatt, who is the best second-string quarterback of all time? And the answer really has to be Tom Brady, right? He's 199th pick in the draft. Spent two years or a year and a half as a second-string quarterback and then goes on to become the winningest quarterback in the history of the NFL. His combine pictures are one of my favorite things on planet Earth because they're horrible, right? I mean, if you've seen the picture of Tom Brady at the NFL Combine, it's like the ultimate dad bod, except he accomplished the dad bod at 22 years old. He does not look like an athlete. He looks like, I don't know, something far on the other end of the athletic spectrum, and yet... From the 199th pick, which in case you weren't aware, is a really low pick. From the 199th pick in the draft to the fourth string quarterback as a rookie for the New England Patriots to becoming the second string quarterback his second year to becoming a starting quarterback in the middle of that year when Drew Bledsoe was injured and never gave that position up again. And goes on to become the winningest quarterback in the history of the NFL. I appreciate one of the things I read about Tom Brady this week is that he is certainly not the most athletic quarterback that's ever played the position, right? It's like... Any of you that have ever watched it know that's 100% true, and yet he became the best. Why? Because he worked the hardest, right? Had an incredible work ethic, had a mind for the game, studied hard. He became the next generation. There's some of you that are sitting in the pews today, and I really believe that. There's some of you that are sitting in the pews today. And if somebody had had to pick you, you might have been the 199th pick in the church draft. You might believe yourself to be the 238th pick in the church draft. You've just been sitting on the bench playing second string, playing backup, but you're a part of that next generation of ministry leaders that God has in store for us right here at Malvern Hill. This morning we're going to look at Paul raising up one of those second generation ministry leaders, and I want you to consider whether or not you might be the next one. Who is next within our church body? Maybe you're watching this at home. Maybe you're not with us. Maybe it is that you are just questioning what it might be. Maybe you're next. Some of you might be watching this at home because you're not showing up at worship and you're going to be reminded that for you to be the next one, you've got to find a church where you're going to plug in at. Well, what would it look like for you to be that next person? Here in this passage of Scripture, we've been in Acts for quite some time. Remember last week we looked at how Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement. They parted company and they went in separate directions. So Paul took with him John Mark, and, or excuse me, Barnabas took with him John Mark and Paul took Silas and they went and they went different places to go and communicate the gospel now what's happening right here is that they're going back to revisit the churches that they had visited on the first missionary journey and they're in that process of revisiting they're trying to encourage and strengthen these churches these these new believers in these places and and trying to help the churches be built up and so the first place that paul goes on his second journey is to a place called derby and, and lystra and there he encounters this guy named timothy and before we get into the meat of the message, here's what I want you to know. The first go-round in Paul's missionary journey, this was the last place he went. Paul's visiting the cities in the reverse order. He starts out there and he's working his way back around in the place that he came. And so this morning, as we think about who is next, I want you to consider that there may be a really wonderful reason why Paul went in the reverse order. 
Paul wanted to take Timothy. That's what the Bible teaches us, right? Paul wanted to take Timothy with him. Is it possible that Paul started off in reverse because Paul had identified a young man that he wanted to bring with him to train up in the mission and that he thought that maybe there was a lot more for Timothy to learn by revisiting all those places than there was by picking him up on the last leg of the journey. As we think about who's next this morning, I don't just want you to look in the mirror and say, could it be me? I want you to look around and think, who could I bring along? If Paul could go and find Timothy and bring him with him, who might you bring along to be the next ministry leader in the church? Now remember, ministry leader doesn't have to mean pastor. It might be. There may be pastors that God's raising up and there may be missionaries that God's calling out. But there's a lot of steps in between. Maybe the Lord's raising you up or calling you out to be that next life group leader. Maybe the Lord's just calling you to go and to serve in children's ministry, a music ministry. Maybe the Lord's calling you to serve in some other place that maybe isn't even yet, yet created or, or named within our church body. But that God has a purpose and a calling in your life. So let's look at three characteristics of leaders this morning that we see in this passage of Scripture, especially as it relates to leaders within the church. The first thing we see this morning is that leaders are learners. Leaders are learners. The Bible says that Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy. Now the Bible says that Timothy was a disciple. What is a disciple? At its core, a disciple is a student or a learner. Right? We've baptized that word, and not in, in, a, in a negative way. It's not wrong to have done so. We've baptized it in such a way that... We sort of talk about Jesus and his disciples. And those disciples, uh, sort of, we, we speak of them in, almost in quotations or in, in italics. Like this is this set-apart special group of people. And without a shadow of a doubt, Jesus' apostles or his disciples were a certain specific group of people that had a certain specific task in the early church. But at its core, a disciple is a learner. And leaders are learners. If you would lead in Christ's church, you've got to first be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You've got to be growing in godliness. You've got to be learning what it looks like to be more like Jesus. You've got to be willing to follow Christ. Follow. A lot of people want to lead, but not a lot of people want to follow. Listen to me. Until you're willing to follow, you're not qualified to lead. Until you are willing to follow, you are not qualified to lead. When somebody comes into our church body and they join here, one of the expectations we have is before somebody would lead a life group is we have to have known them for a while, right? Before you're allowed to even volunteer in our children's ministry, our student ministry, we got to have known you. But before you're going to lead a life group, you're not going to walk into our church body and join today and immediately begin into ministry leadership without first understanding what it is to follow the ministry of the church, to follow in the leadership of our church body. Because until somebody has been willing to follow, they're really not qualified to lead. Don't be that person who only shows up to an event if you're in charge. Don't be that person who only attends a class if you're teaching. Don't be that person who only attends church if they've given you a, a responsibility. We've got to be better than that. We've got to be more than that. Because Jesus calls us to a different kind of leadership, right? Now, we don't lord it over them, Jesus would say to his disciples, as the Gentiles do. But instead, we serve like Jesus did. Wrapping himself in a towel and washing his disciples' feet. 
It's a servant leadership that Christ has called us to. And so if you're going to be willing to lead in Christ's church, you've got to first be willing to serve, to look more like Jesus. Not only is it necessary that we follow, future leaders are serving and learning now. Future leaders are serving and learning now. The Bible says that Timothy was a disciple there, or there was a disciple there named Timothy who was a believer, and he was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers. He was a disciple there, and he was well spoken of. When Paul got there, he didn't go and say, hey, there's this guy sitting on the sidelines not doing anything. Paul got there and said, there's this guy that's doing all the right things, and we want to bring him along with us. Y'all ever notice, you ever heard the old adage, it's a lot easier to get a job when you have a job? It's difficult to go for a job interview if, if, if you, you don't have a job, right? Uh, young people, listen to me. If you want to have a career in life, one of the things you want to make sure that you're doing is you're able to show that you've got a desire to work even as a young person, right? This is important. This isn't just important in the church. This is important outside the church. Some of y'all sitting around waiting on a management position. Bad idea, you know? Bad idea. Okay? You don't sit around and wait on a management position. You earn a management position. You earn those leadership opportunities. Future leaders are serving and learning right now. Do you believe that God's called you to more in the church? Well, what are you doing with what you have right now? Jesus spoke to his disciples at one time, and he, he warned them about not just wasting the things that they'd been given, right? He said, don't go bury it. Instead, use it and multiply it. Make the best use of the gifts that God's given you and the opportunities that God's given you. Make the best use of all the things. Because I, I, I'm a firm believer that the Lord gives us the things that we can manage. Right? But he's, first of all, he's under no obligation to do that. But if he's given us a few things and we've squandered those, why should we ever believe that we are worthy of anything else? Do you want to do more in the church? Do you want to be serving differently? Do you want to be leading in the church? Then you ought to take every single opportunity that you have and absolutely knock it out of the park. If you're too good to sweep a floor, you are not good enough to serve Christ's church. You're certainly not worthy to lead Christ's church. We had uh, some, uh, as, a, as a lady, she's, she's passed away now, but she came from a, a different kind of church tradition um, where uh, the, 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 the pastor was, was, was expected to sort of be, be a little bit more above, if that makes sense, not to, not to get his hands dirty. And she came uh, in the back one evening. We had a, um, a, uh, a fellowship, and she found me. I was sweeping a floor. I know it's hard to believe uh, that the broom fits my hand, but it does. And I was sweeping the floor, and she just got all beside herself. She said, somebody needs to go get that broom from him. He doesn't need to be doing that. And I was like, could you come home with me? That would be great. Because I agree, you know, this thing is, is, is awkward. But it was a wonderful opportunity for me to just say, no, 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 no. I don't get to stand up in front of this church body and speak as the leader here if I'm not willing to sweep the floor. If I'm not willing to do that. Listen, future leaders are serving and leading today, right now. And if you aren't, and you have a desire to lead, you had better find a way to start serving and leading right now. And let me just remind you that that, that moves well beyond just the church environment. 
right? If you're a student, a young person on, 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 on an athletic team, your coach wants to see that you put in that extra effort, right? If you are an adult, you have a job, you want that promotion, your boss wants to see that little bit of extra effort. They want to see you going the extra mile. They want to see you being faithful with the things that you've been given. Future leaders are serving and leading right now in the small spheres that they have. Don't miss that. Leaders are learners. Number two, leaders are recognized by the church. How do I know? First Timothy, or First Timothy, Acts 16, 2, he was well spoken of by the brothers. When I was in middle school, no, high school, high school, um, the people in, in my home church began to recognize God's call to ministry in my life. When I graduated high school, one of my, one of my student leaders pulled me to the side and she said, you're going to come back here one day and you're going to tell me that you surrendered to the ministry, to the pastor, to pastoral ministry. She said, and I won't tell you I told you so. I said, well, I appreciate that, but I'm not going to do that. And six months later, I came back and I said, hey, I've been called to ministry and uh, to this day, she's never told me, she's never said, I told you so. But I, every time I see her, I know, I know every single time that she was right and I was wrong. And I just have to eat that crow over and over and over again. Folks, listen, leaders in the church are recognized by the church. This is why we have a, a practice of ordaining people when they're called to ministry, setting them apart. Right? Hey, we recognize you, we see a gifting in your life, a calling in your life, and we're setting you aside to do that. Listen, if, if you desire to lead, don't demand attention, earn respect. How did Timothy do this? He was well spoken of by the believers. It didn't say that when Paul showed up, Timothy had a sign out front that said, Pick me, pick me, pick me. There's nothing in here that suggests that Timothy was campaigning for these opportunities. That Timothy had invested heavily and hired a PR com company to help him to accomplish all these things. Timothy was just doing what Timothy was supposed to do. And as a result of that, the church around him recognized God's calling, God's gifting in his life. Do you want to lead? Start right where you are. Do you think that God's gifted you to teach? Then begin teaching in your life group. You say, well, I'm not the leader. That's the awesome thing about the way our life groups work. By the way, if you're not involved in a life group, don't leave here without making that next step and getting plugged in. But our life groups are discussion-based. That means that everybody around the room should be able to participate and to teach in that environment. How do we find new life group leaders? Do you know what we do? We begin reaching out to our life group leaders saying, who do you have in your life group that you think could do this and lead their own? And we trust our life group leaders to say, you know what, We've, I've been noticing that this person has a desire to do that. Leaders are recognized by the church. People see something there. But, but, but hold on. Character is the foundation upon which leaders ex exercise their gifts. One of the places that we mess up in the church is when we begin to assume that the greatest qualification for leadership is gifting. Turn with me to 1 Timothy, chapter 3. And we're, we're just going to look at qualifications for overseers. Um, I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll do deacons. But here's what you need to know. They're basically the same thing. Okay, this is qualification for leadership within the local church. I'm going to read some of these to you. 
2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must not, or excuse me, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. And then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves to be blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, and all, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Do you know that in that list of qualifications for deacons, there is not one qualification in here that's related to a gifting. Every single one of those qualifications are related to character. Character. Now let's back up. We're just going to read all this. Let's read about the qualifications for overseers. Okay, Overseers. This is a synonym. Overseers, elders, pastors. Okay, How, Whatever term uh, that, that you would use. Those are all synonymous in, in the New Testament. Beginning in verse 1, it says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Y'all, it's not wrong to desire to lead in God's church. Keep moving. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Which one of these characteristics had to do with ability? Only one. Able to teach. Now, we, we might could say that able to manage his own household well carries with it some degree of, 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 of effort. But really and truly... Most of managing one's household has to do with being a, a person of character, right? So that you don't incite your family to anger. That, 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 that's a desire. Most people that desire to manage their household well are able to pull that off. Because it's a character issue. Character is the foundation upon which leaders exercise their gifts. Occasionally I have folks that want to lead in the church and they want to tell me what a great teacher they are. What a great preacher they are. And folks, none of that matters unless you are first a great human being. Period. Character trumps our giftedness. Because if we're not careful, we can allow our gifts to take us to places that our character cannot sustain us. Let me say that again. You can allow your gifts to take you to a place where your character cannot sustain you. What does that mean? That means you could be such a gifted, charismatic leader, charismatic teacher, charismatic preacher, that you get renowned, that you become maybe even famous for all the incredible things that you're able to teach and expound, even from God's Word. But without, a, without the necessary character qualities, you might completely undo all of your ministry because you failed morally, because you were greedy, because you were not hospitable, because you had a quick temper, because you didn't handle your own finances, because, 
Because you didn't care well for yourself to create boundaries. Y'all, we've got to make certain that character's the foundation. So this is a warning to our church. Not just to us individually, but to us corporately. That we don't, that we don't celebrate the giftedness of a person who does not have the necessary character qualifications to sustain them. This is why Paul warns in 1 Timothy that we don't elevate a recent convert. Do you know how easy that can be? Man, we get so excited. Somebody joins the church. They get saved and they're on fire for Jesus and all kinds of things are going well. And They got one of those amazing testimonies, you know. They killed 78 people and were addicted to drugs and all this other stuff. And, and the Lord saved them and boom, everything changed. They didn't really kill 78 people. But you get the picture, right? Like we, we, we've seen those testimonies where somebody's just lived a life far, far from Jesus. And Jesus saves them. And we're like, look at all that God's done. And we celebrate. But then, rather than allowing that person to season in the faith, to be discipled, to be raised up, to see their, their character, to deepen and strengthen, we immediately platform them. Man, your testimony's so strong. You got baptized four weeks ago. We need to put you... Every, other people need to hear your story. And the next thing you know, we've given them all these opportunities. But the problem is, their roots weren't deep enough to sustain them. Do you understand, church, that if we're not careful, we can be responsible because we have put people in a position where they would fall and we did it? It's the church's responsibility to recognize leaders. To recognize teachers. But to understand that that recognition requires those people to be more than great pulpiteers. To be more than charismatic leaders. They have to be people of God who are committed to following Jesus with their whole heart and their whole mind and their whole strength. They've got to be people who are well thought of by outsiders. They've got to be people who manage their own households well. They've got to be people of upstanding moral character. Because folks, it's the character... That will sustain them for the long haul of ministry. We need people that God is going to call into our church ministry. Or out of this church for ministry. Who are going to burn long and hot for the ministry. Not to burn fast and explode. Right? We don't need fireworks here. We need, electron we need electrical transmission lines. That are going to last for decades. One of my great desires is to pastor until I'm 70 years old. That is my goal in life, right? To, to maintain my physical health and my mental health to be able to pastor until I'm 70. That's what I'm aiming for. Maybe I'll get beyond that, but I'm aiming for that. For me, that means that I've got to not only take care of my moral character, which is important, right? If I lose my family, I'll lose my ministry. So I've got to do that. I've got to make sure that I protect my testimony, my witness to the world outside. That's really important. I've also, look, I've got to make sure that I care for my own physical and mental health and well-being. Those are the things that matter because I recognize that I probably will not have the physical health to continue to pastor at 70 years old if I don't do, do things like control my weight. Or... 
if I'm not really careful with even the way that I exercise so that I don't do things to break myself down more quickly than I should. You know, I've got to think carefully about the, 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 the foods that are going into my body and how it might impact my own mental health. Because I want to have, I've got to have the mind to be able to do this. That's a part of us looking at recognizing and raising up leaders and teachers in the church body. Not just somebody that can do it, but somebody who is qualified to do it. And there is a difference. There's a difference. Leaders are recognized by the church. Church family, you've got a responsibility to identify those character traits in folks. You've got that responsibility. But listen to me. If you desire to lead within our church body, you have a responsibility to earn the respect of others by serving faithfully within the church body. Don't begin a campaign of demanding that people pay you attention. Instead, begin to labor faithfully to serve the Lord gladly. Third this morning, leaders. So leaders are learners. Leaders are recognized by the church. And the leaders sacrifice for the mission. <sighs> Timothy had a big sacrifice here. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. Y'all, we, we recognize the, the, the sacrifice here, right? Everybody. Yeah. This is a big one. Okay, we won't get into all the details. If you don't know, go home and ask your mom. She'll explain it all to you. Don't ask your dad. Um, we've got, but, so we, we know, for instance, because of what Paul writes in Galatians, that Paul does not believe it's necessary for people to be circumcised, to be in the Christian faith. As a matter of fact, we even know that coming from the Jerusalem Council, which would have been just prior to Paul's departure, that there's nobody in Jerusalem who's demanding that believers be circumcised to serve in Christ's church. But leaders are willing to sacrifice for the mission. Leaders are willing to sacrifice for the mission. Look, leaders in Christ's church must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Jesus. This is what Buster read about just a few minutes ago. Leaders in Christ's church must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Jesus. You're not qualified to lead until you're willing to sacrifice for the mission. Now, we see changing attitudes in sort of the work culture of America right now. We've seen it really shift generationally. There was a time when, when there was an expectation that people would, would sacrifice even for their job. And generationally, we've seen that, that, that shift, right? We, we don't see a whole lot of people, and, and I think it runs both ways. We don't see a lot of companies who have been willing to sacrifice to hold on to their people. We don't see a lot of people who have been willing to sacrifice for the good of their company. This is, this is where, for, for instance, this is where our baby boomer generation thinks that all y'all are just really messed up because they knew what it was like to give it all. Lay it all on the line for the company and everything else. So this is where if you're millennial, Gen Z, some of you Gen Xers, this is where y'all need to listen. Because if you're going to lead in Christ's church, matter of fact, if you're going to lead anywhere and lead effectively, you've got to be willing to sacrifice for the mission. To be willing to sacrifice for the mission, you've got to be willing to be bought into the mission. I appreciate in our life group this morning, somebody just talked about how it's a lot easier to be committed 
and, and really even evangelistic for what's happening in your local church when you're completely bought in and you buy in a lot more when you start serving, right? Why? Because when you begin serving, whether that be in a music ministry, in children's ministry, you begin serving in, in any capacity. You're serving as a greeter, right? You're, you're serving uh, with, with, with food and, and caring for people in that way. When you begin to serve, you're invested. There's, there's a sacrifice that comes. You're taking time out of your week to prepare for the service that's coming up. And when you begin to get invested, you begin to sacrifice, you begin to actually give a little bit more. You, you, you begin to want others to be a part. You're bought in completely. Well, folks, leaders buy into the mission. And once they buy into that mission, they are willing to sacrifice for the mission. Timothy was willing to give up a lot, his own comfort in this particular situation, because he believed in the mission of the gospel. Y'all, are you willing to sacrifice for the mission of the gospel? I mean, seriously. What would that look like in your own life? Some of you got to be willing to give up some time. See, this is the truth. I, I used to think that the scariest thing I'd preach on was money. The reality is there's some of you that would much rather write a check than to give your time. For those of you that would rather write a check than give your time, you need to be, be second-guessing yourself here just a little bit. Please continue to write your checks. Um, side note. <laughs> Big ones. Um, but if you're writing a check because you think in so doing, you're, you're buying your way out of your responsibilities in the kingdom, you're wrong. Now, now, for some of you, you're like, well, I'm not giving any money. I, I gave my time. And some of you kept a ledger book in your head. Oh, my time's worth $15 an hour, and I, I served 18 hours last month, so I just take out of my tithe this week. That doesn't work either. You understand? Uh, we've got to be willing to sacrifice for the mission and sacrifice the things that matter. Here you go. You ready for the greatest idol that some of you need to sacrifice? Get a drink of water first. It's your kids. Oh, yeah, I got the eye darts. I'm just going to look at the camera right now. Some of you need to be willing to have the kind of conversations with your children that looks at them occasionally and says, the world's not about you, and we've got a responsibility that's bigger than just what happens in our home. Does that mean you sacrifice your children? By no means. By all means, you invest in them. You give them the gospel. But part of giving them the gospel is allowing them to see you prioritize the gospel in ministering Christ's church even above them occasionally. How dare you, Craig? Some of you need to sacrifice the money that you're spending to spoil your children for other things in God's kingdom. The reality is I don't have to dig into all the details. Some of you know, and that's the reason you're mad at me right now, because you know I'm right. See, I can actually trust the Holy Spirit to do the work of conviction. Because increasingly I'm, I'm convinced 
that many of you have idolized your children and put them on a pedestal in such a place that they become your object of worship. But they're not, actually. One of the worst sentences that I've read in a book recently just cr- like cut me to the quick. It's the book I'm doing with, our men, with some of our men on Sunday nights. And it talks about how we've so messed up our definition of love that we've actually redefined love in such a way that what we claim to love it's not actually the, we don't love the object we claim. What we actually love is what it is that that object gives to us. This is why, for instance, I can say that I love a hot dog. I don't actually love a hot dog. If I did, I'd never eat the thing, right? But I love the way it makes me feel. This is the danger we have in, in our, our, our relationships that I say I love somebody, but I don't actually love them. I just love the way they make me feel. This is the idolatry that some of you have. You claim to be celebrating your children, but it's actually an idolatry of pride that you've created to make yourself feel good for the things that you're spending on your children or the things you're allowing your kids to do or the things you're making your kids do. Some of you have disqualified yourself from leading in other places because you've not actually been willing to put the Lord first. I'll move on. Leaders sacrifice for the mission. Craig, you don't know what you're talking about. Okay, fine, I don't. But I'm going to tell you, there have been times in my life when I've tucked my children into bed and I said, I love you, but tonight it's not about you. There's some people coming over our house that need Jesus tonight. And how about you help me to love these people well and try and lead them to Christ? You know what my children do? They celebrate that. They do. And your children will too if you're just honest with them. You can actually bring your children along in the ministry. Ministering to others doesn't require us to leave our kids at home. You can bring them with you. You just might not be able to do all the other things. Leaders are willing to sacrifice for the mission. Sacrifice your time, your money. What are you willing to give up? Look at what Timothy gave up, y'all. Again, if you don't know, go home and ask your mama. And then we get to the best part. Timothy was willing to sacrifice for the mission even though it wasn't a requirement. He gave up his own rights. Never allow your rights to disqualify you from sharing the gospel with others. Man, this one gets me, y'all. This one gets me. Well, I can do this. Yeah, you can. You're right. But is it the best thing for you to be doing? When's the last time that you allowed your pride to get in the way of you effectively sharing the gospel with somebody else? I talk a lot about paying the tax that we don't owe as it relates to our apologies. I've seen people be unwilling to apologize because they didn't do anything wrong and as a result have actually closed doors to the gospel. When's the last time you were willing to be wrong so that the gospel could be right in somebody's life? Timothy didn't have to be circumcised. This is the real issue here. We've got the Jerusalem Council meeting. We've got Paul himself that says that circumcision doesn't matter. So why in the world would Timothy do this? Because he wanted to lower the barriers barriers for gospel ministry and when he ministered among the Jews. You see, Timothy came from a mixed ethnic family. His daddy was a Greek. His mama was a Jew. And so he had never been circumcised as other Jewish boys would have been. And so when Paul comes and says, Timothy, you're the guy. I want you to come along with ministry and ministry with me. What Paul was going to do, continue to do throughout his missionary journeys was begin his mission among the Jewish people. And then he would spread out among the Gentiles. Well, the Jews weren't going to listen 
to a man in Timothy who came from a mixed ethnic background if he was not adhering to the Old Testament law. Timothy was not required by the gospel to be circumcised, but Timothy was willing to become all things to all people so that by all means he might reach some with the message of the gospel. Folks, when's the last time you were willing to give up something so that somebody else might be exposed to Jesus? Oh, but my rights! What if part of carrying your cross is giving up your rights? What if the needs of others trump our rights? You see, there's a lot of things that I'm allowed to do in the, in the Scriptures that I choose not to do. Not because I believe they're sinful, but because I believe that they would be sinful for me in that particular place because they might get in the way of somebody else hearing the gospel. Leaders sacrifice for the mission. Y'all, if you would desire to lead in Christ's church, you've got to be willing to sacrifice. You've got to be willing to give some things up. And, and watch this. If you're going to be missional in the community around you, you've got to be willing to give some things up. What's it going to cost you? Oh, we lie to ourselves when we say that following Jesus won't cost us anything. It may cost you everything. Oh, this is the fear that so many people have. This is what keeps them from Christ. Because they know that if I were to take that step, Toward Jesus. See, there's some of you that are believers here today <laughs> that have never taken that next step in obedience or in discipleship because you're terrified that if you do that, you're going to lose something. You will. You may lose relationships. You may lose some of that spare time. But you're going to gain heaven. And, and, and here's the great thing. You're going to gain the opportunity to win others to Christ. So I ask you this morning, who's next? See, Paul went to Derby and Lystra, I believe, because he knew Timothy was there. I do. I believe he went there to get him. He couldn't bring Mark. He decided that wasn't going to work out, but he needed somebody he could bring along. So he went and got Timothy. See, Paul understood that the mission was bigger than him. Do you understand the mission is bigger than you? It's bigger than us. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than this church. The mission is huge. The needs are great. Paul went and he found Timothy. So I ask you this morning, are you next? Are you next? Are you the next pastor that God would call out of this church? Are you the next missionary that God would call, the next chaplain? We talked about that a few weeks ago. Maybe you're the next life group leader or the next nursery volunteer. Maybe you're the next musician. Maybe you're the next greeter. Maybe you walk in here every Sunday morning and go, man, I tell you what, I, I, I bet you I would be really good standing on those steps just welcoming people. We need you. Are you next? 
Are you willing to be next? See, that's the first question. The second question is this. Do you see somebody around you who might be next? If you were willing to go get them? Paul went and got Timothy. See, Paul understood what that was like. Who went and found Paul? A guy named Barnabas, right? Barnabas went and found him. Drug him. Adam likes to teach this one. It looks like he kind of grabbed him and drug him, kicking and screaming. Like he went looking for him and just drug him along. Nah, Paul, we got, we see what you got. See, here's what happened. They recognized the giftedness and they didn't make sure the character was there. Some of you have recognized the gift in somebody else's life. You don't need to hone the gift so much as you need to help them to grow in character. You need to see them discipled in Christ. So maybe you're the next one. Maybe you know the next one. And since I've already made all you parents mad, maybe your kids are the next one. See, that's where this thing really hits home for you as parents. Some of you robbing your children of God's calling because you have prioritized too many other things in their life. You prioritized it. Some of you are robbing the kingdom of the next great pastor and missionary. Because you prioritized everything else. Well, Craig, we just want to give them opportunities. I know. I would just prefer that you gave them gospel opportunities first. I would love it if they saw you prioritizing the gospel. Above everything else. And when they asked why they didn't get to do all the things that their friends got to do. That you took that as an opportunity. A teachable moment as a parent to say. I can't make the decision that all the other parents make. I don't know why they do what they do. But as for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. And the reason that we're doing this. Is because we believe. That serving Christ and his kingdom and his church. Matters more than all these other things. See, one of the scariest things that might be holding some of you back is you're afraid that if you were to double down on an investment with your children that God might call your children into something else. What if God called your child to missions? What if God called your child to the pastorate? What if God called your child into a deeper devotion to Christ than you're willing to practice in your own home today? Who's next? Are you next? We can celebrate all the things that God's doing outside and bringing people in. But folks, we got to make sure that we're being open to God sending us out. The church recognized Timothy, and they put him forward as a leader in ministry. This morning as we sing, some of you legitimately may want to come and pray this morning and confess, Lord, I have not been serving. Some of you are bitter because the church hasn't called you out, and you need to come and confess that you've not been participating because you've not been leading and that you've been wrong. 
Some of you need to come pray for your children. See, some of you may have actually seen a call on your kids' lives already, and you, you've not been praying for them. Some of you want to pray, pray for our students here, that God would raise up pastors and missionaries from among our own church people. Some of you may need to come today and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Whatever the Lord's doing in your life as we stand and sing, would you come today and allow the Lord to do business in your life? Stand with me as we pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you so much for loving us. Thank you, God, for all the many gifts and blessings that we enjoy as a result of your love toward us. Thank you for the leaders you've given us and the giftings and the callings that you've placed on us. Lord, I pray there'd be somebody today who'd be willing to look in the spiritual mirrors that were, Lord God, and be willing today to be next. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing with us this morning.